Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Dr. Laurie Santos. In a world that sometimes feels uncertain, there are beacons of hope in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network. We believe that the people living all around you are your best bet at creating meaningful social bonds and preparing you for the next big weather event. Whether it's lending a helping hand to a neighbor in need or standing together in times of natural disaster, Neighbor to Neighbor empowers you to grow your community. Visit caneighbors.com to learn how you can build a more connected community. Neighbor to Neighbor. It takes a neighborhood. This is Apologetics Live with Matt Slick and Andrew Rappaport, part of the Christian Podcast Community. All right, let's do it. All right, well, welcome to another Apologetics Live. We are here to answer any question you have about God and the Bible, because we can answer any question that you have about God and the Bible. Well, for a very simple reason. I say that I don't know is a perfectly good answer. All right, so, well, welcome, Pastor Justin and John. How are you guys doing this evening? Doing good. Fantastic. All right, I was just wondering if John was going to say anything. All right, so we, we, we are at Anthony Free. I did say something. <laughs> something. We're, we're Anthony Free tonight because he is down in Dallas. Uh, he is speaking there with uh, the guys at ICR. And so that uh, is a good opportunity for him. So he may or may not pop in. And so we'll see who else may. We got some folks that are popping in backstage. And so uh, what we wanted to start off with briefly um, was to discuss the debate from last week, kind of a quick post-debate, and then uh, we see some folks that are coming in. Maybe we uh, get to some questions. If you have any questions, want to join in the discussion, just go to apologeticslive.com. We're here Thursday nights. You go to apologeticslive.com. That is where you can get all the information to watch, to join. You will be able to, from there, click on the duck icon for the stream yard, and that will get you in to being able to uh, join us, as others have and are already backstage. So, are you sleeping there, John? No, I'm doing a duck sound. Oh, that was a really bad duck call. You better stick, you, you just stick to your chickens, all right? Okay, all right, all right. So, so uh, I, you know, John, I, you were here for the whole debate. Now, Pastor Justin couldn't, he sure couldn't take was. it. He could not take it. He, he watched half the debate and said, I can't take this guy. Uh, but there were a couple of things I do think are helpful for folks that to pay attention to with the debate with just a notice. And this is just to help people in their apologetics. One of the things that we saw was when we talked about Calvinism 
if you if you early on and, and later on he bo- he made the argument that he understands Calvinism and do you remember what he said he said he read Calvin's Institutes now I, I chose not to pick that apart I I mentioned to him he might want to read some books that actually deal with the subject because when people speak of Calvinism they're not actually teaching the five points that Calvin taught and and I don't think that Seth understood that. Um, one of the things we have to understand is that when we talk of Calvinism or doctrines of grace, and we you have someone that says, "Well, I read Calvin." <laughs> yeah. Okay. Historically, you have you have the Calvinists, and after Calvin, there were Calvinists that went to what we might call hyper Calvinist into determinism, and then you had this guy James Arminius. James Arminius. Uh, and very few understand this. Actually, R.C. Sproul wrote a book, and he he understood this and, and pointed this out. James Arminius was actually a Calvinist. In other words, the the followers of Calvin went so far afield that he was trying to bring them back in. But the problem is, his followers went so far afield that they yep. they they kept going too far. Just like Calvin's followers went too far one way, Arminius's followers went too far. The other way, you know, Calvin and Arminius may have had more agreement than their followers, <laughs> and and so the followers of Arminius came up with five points of Arminianism, and the response to that was what is known as the five points of Calvinism. Now it was interesting because when I was asking him about the five points of Calvinism, he said he understood it because he read John Calvin which immediately told me he doesn't understand because Calvin never had the five points of Calvinism. They I was came just going to ask you that, was it Calvin who responded with the five points, or was it other people from churches Oh, no, that Calvin was long dead. Yeah, Calvin was long dead Same. at that time. But okay, so yeah, so, so after Calvin died is when his followers started continuing on, the, on a path, getting more and more deterministic. Arminius comes along and tries to pull them back in, but his followers go too far. So Calvin wasn't even alive to respond to the five points of Arminianism. So, so just to make clear that when you read Calvin's Institutes or anything from Calvin, you're not going to find the five points of Calvinism. Correct. I mean, you'll see the, the you'll see the teachings of how it, it developed into the five points, but you're not going to find the five points added in there <laughs> La- laid out as correct. And, and Melissa is right. asking me, do, do I happen to know the name of the RC Sproul book? And I want to say that it's chosen to believe. Yeah, that's what it is. I, I, okay. Uh, so, you know, it's one of his later chapters. So one, one of the things though, that y- I want you guys to see if you're, if you're ever, cause the, this show, the purpose of this show, one of the purposes is to educate you guys on how to do apologetics so that you could be a better apologist, a better defender of the Christian faith. And so, well, let me, well, let me just finish. So, so you'll okay. see people that will do this. They will say, well, I know about a subject because I've read one thing or, or, or you'll hear a lot of times, well, I know a lot about Christianity because I grew up Christian. None of us really understood Christianity because we grew up Christian. We understand Christianity if we start studying it. But being raised going to church doesn't necessarily give you a degree in Christianity. And and that's an argument many will make. And it's the same argument Seth was making that, well, I read Calvin. Well, that's fine. That's nothing of what we're talking about. We're, we're discussing Calvinism, which is something that was 
way after Calvin died. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, the one thing that, that I want to encourage everybody with is that it is, well, I, I put it up online here and I want to pull this up. Um, if you read Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13, it says, he who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. And see, the danger is when you're talking past people and you're not listening, um, you don't actually hear the arguments and the comments that they're making. What I heard was a lot of, you know, just, just trying to win an argument and being contentious rather than listening to grow. I mean, just because I may not agree with Andrew's position doesn't mean I can't be respectful and listen and consider what he's saying and why he's saying it. And in apologetics, you have to be quiet enough to hear the other person's argument and respectful enough. I mean, we're talking to Christians, you know, even if you're not, but we're talking to Christians back and forth. We need to be respectful and say, you know, I don't agree with your position, but let me hear it and let's, let's sit down and, and answer it with respect and with grace. And and that's not what I heard last week. It was just, you know, what about this verse, this verse, this verse, this, well, you know what, this one does this. And it just, it was, it would got to the point where to, to hear it for me was like uh, on, a, on a, on a scratching on a board, you know, it was just, w- w- would you stop for a minute and listen to what's being said? Yeah. And, and, that was one of the things I brought out at the end, which you couldn't listen to the end more. <laughs> but I, I pointed that out, that it was interesting because he didn't understand, I mean, over and over and over throughout the debate, he's telling me, you believe that God forces someone to believe. And over and over and over, I kept saying, no, I don't believe that. I never said that. Now, he claims afterwards, he told me, he gave me a minute mark, said, you said this. And I told him, well, if I said that, I misspoke. Yeah. But... If I, if it's, it's, but he, see, he wouldn't let that go. He kept saying that I, I talked about, you know, when I talked about the suffering is inevitable, he said that I was saying that, that God, that the belief is inevitable. And his whole thing is, you know, God, like God can offer salvation, but we don't actually believe it. Um, we, we have a choice to believe it or not. Um, so that was, you know, that was a thing where he wasn't listening to what I was actually saying. Um, wow. so that was, that was one thing I picked up, uh, that I wanted to, to point out. Uh, another thing that I, I wanted to, to point out that you saw in that is, and you already mentioned this, Justin, is the fact of, of listening to your opponent, arguing what they actually believe. Yeah. It, it, it shocked him when he realized that I don't claim to be a Calvinist. And he was like, wait, well, how, how are you, you know, defending Calvinism? Cause a good debater can defend something they don't believe. I, I, can defend Islam. That's not a problem. Uh, but I don't have to believe in Islam. But I, I can I can make an argument for it. And and that's the thing that um, I think that uh, we, we a lot of people kind of don't understand that we we have to be able to understand the opponent's argument well enough to be able to debate their their side of an argument. And when you can, then you understand the issue that they're raising. But if you're doing as, as Seth was, he, he was debating something that I didn't hold to and, and yet continued arguing. It, and it makes someone that does that look, uh, you know, look bad. Well, when you, when, when you, you argue just from emotion and, and your whole entire argument is based on, I don't like this doctrine or I don't like this thing. And you get emotional about it. I mean, we all have a tendency. We can do that. But and, and we have to check ourselves. 
because I'm just going to tell you, before I was a Christian, I didn't like anything about the Bible. I didn't like anything the Bible said that I'm, de- you know, condemned from from the from the womb to the tomb. I'm I'm condemned already. I'm I'm a sinner in the sight of a holy God. I don't like that. Well, when I get saved, there's all kinds of stuff I don't like that I need to submit to and learn from, and then learn the graciousness of God in it. You know, that's that's part of the sanctification process of a believer. Yeah, and one of the things that you see, if, if you watch that debate, the saddest part, John, I think you might agree with me, the saddest part in that debate mm-hmm. was when there was a point, you know, his early on, he, he mentioned that God would never give us a command that we don't have the ability to do. Now, one of the things you'll often watch with me as I do debates and things like this is I will try to get things established early on because debates even a discussion early on you you tend to have more agreement than later so get the commitment up front so i ask lots of questions up front and when he said that he he believes that god cannot give a command that we aren't able to to do i said okay that's going to come up much later i knew i was going to bring that up later and so when i did bring that up i asked him again does he believe that? He said, yes. He's, and so I gave him the command that's given over and over in Leviticus, be holy as I am holy. Yep. And his, I said, can you be holy as God is holy? And he said, no, which was good. Unfortunately, and this is the problem some people have, when, they're, when their system of theology is more important than the scripture, what do they do? They give up scripture and start reading into scripture something it doesn't say to hold on to yeah. their theology. And that's what he did when he goes, well, maybe for a second I can. And I said, can you be holy as God is holy? And he said, yes, for a second. I said, that's blasphemy. I mean, oh, exactly. And, and that, that's where exactly is the problem with a lot of non-Calvinists is that they don't realize their unrighteousness they don't get it they don't understand just how wicked and sinful they are compared to a holy and righteous and perfect god yeah so yeah yeah irresistible truth puts on in the comments just what we were talking about earlier gave Mm -hmm. some of the you know some of the things of they, they don't realize that calvinism wouldn't have been a formal five point had it not been for the five points of the uh, the Remonstra, the Arminians, five points. That that's where the five, the tulip that we, we call the tulip. That's where it's a response to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, the other thing that I saw with it is, you know, when he, like, for example, we saw the thing where he had the opportunity to realize, okay, there was something wrong with my beliefs. The underlying argument that God would never give a command that we're not capable of doing. He should have at that point said, okay, there's something wrong with my view, yeah. and at least consider it. But instead, and, and this is, sometimes people can have pride, and that pride could be where they will struggle with this. And to win an argument, they end up saying things that could be blasphemy. And this is how people end up falling into heresy. It's not that they turn into heresy overnight. It's usually because they're arguing a position with someone, and they yeah. argue too far. You know, Well, it's kind of like... Uh, be righteous, you know, okay, go ahead and spend the rest of your days being righteous. Well, the scripture says that you must be righteous as Christ, as God is righteous. Um, <clears throat> like you said, be holy. Both of those things are emphatic 
They're a, de- they're a command and a demand that you cannot see God unless you want to see him under judgment and wrath, unless you're holy as God is holy, and un- unless you're righteous. And if you can't do that, you've got a problem. <laughs> yeah, You've got a major problem. Well, the problem is, is or the, 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 the thing is, is none of us can. Because none are good, not even one. We're dead in trespass and sin. It, it doesn't mean that we're physically dead. It means that we are spiritually dead. You know, Ephesians tells us that, Ephesians 2, 1, we're dead in trespass. We walk after the course of this world. So we actively walk in a spiritual dead nature. And then, of course, what he said was something along the lines of, um, I can choose to choose God or some, I can choose to choose yeah. Christ. Yeah. And I'm like, but wait a minute. And you brought it out. You said, wait a minute, but you're dead. And he goes, yes, yeah. but I can choose. And then of course, that's where you, where you misunderstand the, the doctrine of, you know, soteriology, the, the, the ordo salutis. That's where you misunderstand that God has to take that dead man and make him alive. That's why Ephesians two says, you know, uh, uh, who you are, that you walk in the world and then, but God, those two greatest words in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, I, you'll see me do in a debate like this, and this is helpful to do. You notice that I didn't go to a ton of scripture verses and some people were like thinking of the scripture verses, you know, Justin, you said, John six, why didn't you go there? <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a reason for that. Uh, yeah, there are people who try to overwhelm someone with, the, you know, just rattling off scripture verses. Yeah. One that seems impressive. More important, though, in a debate, in my opinion, is to not just mention a whole lot of scripture verses, but to dig into them and explain them. And in that case, there's only a few that you need. Oh, yeah. And so, why did I go to the Philippians 129? Well, Philippians 129 says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but to also to suffer for his sake. Now, Seth was arguing that we believe first, and then we have faith. And so, you know, when we're doing that, he's putting in a chronological ordering to it. Now, I said, I don't think there is a chronological ordering on either side. I can understand a logical ordering, but that usually leads to chronological. I think they're simultaneous. It is not as monogistic, but this verse here makes it clear that God grants us to believe, okay? Which means God did so, does something first. Now, why does that become important? He, he, there was one thing he saw in the debate that he did. He turned and says, well, I can get a grant at school and, and refuse it. Now, now, that right there is a fallacy because he's, he's trying to take a, you know, a grant in that word, in that meaning, has no comparison to a grant you get at school for college, like a scholarship. And so there was a, that's called the fallacy of equivocation. Just because the word is used, grant, in both ways, doesn't mean it has the same meaning. In fact, and I didn't get into this in the debate, but the word for grant in Philippians 129 is to pardon or forgive. Just as it has been pardoned for Christ's sake, not only to believe. So, So the pardon is coming before the belief in that sense. So that's that's why I bring that verse up. Was that his argument, really? I mean, I, I, I know he kept saying, he kept using that word grant, but I, that's what I thought. I was like, he he's not applying the same word. Correct. To what, I mean, what we're trying to say. It's like God grants you the repentance and the faith, but yet he kept saying, no, I can, I can get a grant. 
Yeah, I know. And and that's where what? he was doing the fallacy of equivocation. He was using Grant two different ways. And and th- so you yeah. want to look for fallacies like that. Now, do you have to always point them out? No. Uh, you don't have to... You Remember, in a debate, you don't have to point out everything they say that's wrong. Uh, it's actually sometimes better not to. Um, yeah, and I do. Focus, focus <laughs> on the majors, right? And, you know, with with focusing on the majors, we want to make sure that we're not getting lost in the weeds because that's what sometimes happens when we have discussions. And if you watched the debate last week, you saw that, what did I keep doing? I kept bringing it back to a few verses. I kept bringing it back to Philippians one twenty nine because this was a major thing he struggled with. I didn't have to keep going all over the, the Bible. Just keep going back to a couple of passages, stick to a couple of passages and until until they're understood, the problem is we he never got to a point of understanding the passage because he kept reading something in, and this is something you saw me do over and over again. I literally, for example, read for it has been granted for for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe but also to suffer for His sake. And he said, "Well, see, that means that's only for believers because it's in Him." Now the irony there is, I said. So that those that it's been granted to are only for believers. And he said, yes. I said, welcome to Calvinism. <laughs> and he didn't even pick up on that. Because yeah. he's actually arguing a point of Calvinism, yeah. right? <laughs> Which was, he, he was actually arguing, you know, and didn't even pick up on that. One thing to point out too, though, is in this passage, it's not just saying that it's granted for Christ's sake for you to believe. But the granting is that you believe and but, it says, but also, yes, but also to suffer for his sake. So the argument that, that is, is being made to the Philippian church is that God in his kind grace is allowing you to be saved and allowing you to suffer for Christ's sake, for his name. Yeah, and, and, and I brought that up because that's, that's the thing. The, the focus of the book of Philippians is on suffering. Exactly. But the whole point is, just as God has has given you the suffering, has pardoned you for suffering, he's pardoned you for belief. And you know what's amazing about that? Are they going is to, he, is he actually going to sit there and say, well, you know, he could say um, that, that here, here, Philippians, um, God's granting you and offering you um, the, the, the chance to suffer. And you can just say, ah, no, thanks. No, 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 I really don't want to. I mean, well, that's, that's what he was arguing. <laughs> That, yeah, that is what exactly. he was arguing. And, and and I think what he doesn't notice is what that ends up doing is putting a uh, – it raises man's belief yeah. to a higher – I mean, he said, point blank, he's synergistic. He believes God works with man to, to save a man. For sure. I mean, that's Catholicism. Yeah, well, he, but, but think that's where that comes from. Uh-huh. You know, that's where that – you know, the, the – um, Arminius, you know, you have, well, in all honesty, you have, you have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of history that comes out of the, the Roman Catholic church that fought against the Roman Catholic church, but a lot of it that was perfectly aligned with it, you know? And when you think about it, your, your, your Pelagius Arminius argument is staunchly Roman Catholic, you know? Yeah. And I, and you know, I know people get mad about saying that, but it's true. Well, you know, it, you, it, it comes a question of what's the difference there. And, you know, one of the things, because we, we have some people in the backstage, I know one that's going to take a little bit longer, uh, probably go to Matthew first since he's going to stay on topic. Um, <laughs> but no, no, just because we, we have uh, the way 
everlasting who's going to be it's going to be a totally different topic uh he oh he, i got you so i'll, I'll stick we'll stick to this topic and he's going to be a little bit longer i should, should say he or she because i don't know um can't tell by the by the name so um but before we do you know i do want to for folks who are, are regular here i should i should mention um and, and he's saying the way everlasting saying he's a he so that's good he identifies as a he at least <laughs> um we're not doing that. We're not doing that. No, no, so, no. So folks who are regular know that we have a regular commenter uh, uh, that would do super chats for us. And if folks want to do a super chat, if you're watching on you know, on YouTube, you can, instead of putting a comment, you put the comment with the dollar sign there. That donates to Striving for Eternity. And in so, we guarantee we will read uh, that comment. <clears throat> so... Uh, because, well, you supported the ministry, and we're going to make sure that that's read. Well, Full Belly Bear is one who's done that very often, and I was talking with him this week, and he has a new fallacy for us. We, I, we always like to give, teach you guys on some different fallacies when we can, and there's a fallacy he came up with. And when I thought about this, I think, I think it is a, a legitimate fallacy that we see very often, uh, especially with like politicians. But he called it, we, we called it the fallacy of amnesia the fallacy of amnesia and i i don't i, I in in my study of logic i have not come across this so he, he may have an original the fallacy of amnesia is when you to when you avoid an argument by saying i don't remember mm. right you, you th- think about you know bill clinton with the monica Lewinsky thing how often could he not remember anything I mean, his memory was just shot during that thing, right? Everything was, I can't remember. Were you, were you ever alone? I, I can't remember, right? So it's a, it was a thing where what you're looking for is a yes, no answer. You're, you're asking questions that people should know the answer to. And their response is, I can't remember or I don't know. Now, I give that response all the time to my kids. Yeah. <laughs> Now, if it's if it's Biden, we understand it's it's not actually a fallacy of amnesia. It say, actually yeah. is amnesia. Former, <laughs> former Vice President Biden uh, says it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, but that is one of the things. Now, this is different than saying I don't know to avoid. This is to the claim of this is a case when you have something that you should know, something that happens to you, something that is you know it's something you experienced, but you say I don't know. To avoid answering. Typically, I think people are going to do that because, well, you know, to say yes or no gets them in trouble, right? <laughs> so th- so the, our new fallacy for this week is the fallacy of amnesia thanks to Full Belly Bear. I don't see him commenting. Otherwise, we, you know, he'd probably be saying, yep, that was me. <laughs> um, so uh, before we before we put uh, John in, in the, uh, in the uh, backstage... John, typically you you tend to get in your relaxed position before you know when we see we get to see you, Pastor Justin and I when you're backstage and we usually see you get into your relaxed position. You're doing usually one of two things. Oh, full belly bear oh, is, is here. There he is. You you say his name three times and he appears. I refuse to do a super chat, but he gives a five dollar super chat. <laughs> I think that's called a contradiction. <laughs> Oh, he's great. He is great. He he is a sharp, sharp guy. You got to be on your toes with him. But he's uh he's always thinking. So so John, the thing we always notice with you is you're in a very relaxed state. Usually we see you with you leaning back in your chair, 
and and your yeah. eyes are closed and you look like you're yeah. kind of comfortable whenever we bring you up on on camera you you seem to wake up very quickly which leads me to believe mm-hmm. that it's possible that you're just not getting a good enough sleep during the show and i think the reason why i could be wrong i think the reason why is because you need to get yourself a my pillow what I think you need to do is take advantage of the sale that they're running right now. Uh, they're running mm. a sale right now to get a queen size premium my pillow for only twenty nine ninety eight. That's forty dollars off. So I, I really think you should consider getting one so that you can sleep through the whole show next time. And I'm going to tell you mm. how you do it, John. What you do is call one eight hundred eight seven three zero one seven six. And when you call them, use promo code SFE for striving for return. Not only, John, will you get a great night's sleep during the show, but you'll be supporting striving for attorney at the same time. Now, another option you have, if you don't want to call 1-800-873-0176, you can go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and then use promo code SFE to get not only a pillow, but in your case, John, maybe when you're out there with your chickens, you can get yourself a nice robe, you know, or you can get their pillow top. They have a mattress topper and some bed sheets and all kinds of things. You can get great discounts at MyPillow, who is sponsoring this show, sponsors both the Apologetics Live and my Rap Report show. And you can get discounts there using promo code SFE. The number's there on the screen, 1-800-873-0176. So if you want to help support us and get a better night's sleep, call them. And as folks watching can see, John is already out for the night, so we're going to put him backstage. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say the other thing he's usually doing is reading my What Do They Believe book, which he seems to read a lot. I'm going to bring Matthew in because he said he wanted to talk a little bit more with uh, the topic we were on with Calvinism. So, Matthew, welcome to Apologetics Live. Thanks for bringing me in. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. I think this is your first time coming in. Well, I've I've been on before, but not necessarily in the (laughs) Oh, okay. Fancy equipment. Um, uh, for a bit of background, I uh, on Twitter I saw some different posts from a uh, specific uh, user um, talking about free uh, free will theology and whatnot. And um, I heard James and James White of the Dividing Line interact with him. I heard a couple of shows in which James White discussed it, uh, discussing a. Um, debate between this uh, just gentleman Warren McGrew and Matt Slick from uh, at the end of last year. I listened to that, listened to that, and um, I thought that was, it was a very, very interesting debate considering Warren McGrew's position. And then I re- recently listened to a very recent interview from of Warren McGrew in which he was discussing uh, the history of um, uh, Augustine and Pelagianism and Calvinism in general. And according his whole his whole idea is getting back to a pre-Augustinian orthodoxy is, is what he called it. A uh, big emphasis on free will, which I take to mean libertarian free will based on his descriptions. But anyway, what he suggested is that Augustine, even even at becoming at, after becoming a Christian, was still extremely um, in, uh, inspired by uh, his Platonism. Oh, shoot, I forgot what the other things Augustine was was into before he became a Christian. I'm sorry. Um, with all these things, when he, yeah, and when he started writing his works, 
uh, and Warren's argument was that Pelagius was the Orthodox gentleman, was the Orthodox uh, Christian coming to refute Augustine and his claims. And he tra- and he argues historically the way things went down, it wasn't the, ch- the the church sided with Pelagius according according to what he was tell- what he was saying in this interview. And then eventually, as one of the um, one of the political leaders that declared Augustine the winner of the argument because he got tired of all the drama. Therefore, Augustinianism is false, and anything that followed thereafter. Well, there's some there, there's some validity to the fact that Augustine in his early writings is not the same Augustine in his later writings. In fact, yeah. one of the things Augustine did uh, later in his life was to rewrite all his older works and, and edit all his older works because he couldn't stand the thought of having uh, his bad teaching out there. So, so there was some of that with Augustine. However, the the fact of trying to say that you know when you look at the, what they were debating, mm-hmm. and you compare it to Scripture, Pelagius, you know, th- this is why people, most people that would be not holding to Calvinism are semi-Pelagians, because Pelagius was one of these guys, like I was talking about earlier, who, who took an argument and just went too far <clears throat> trying to defend an, an argument. And what, what happens, let me explain the history of, of heresy, how people become heretics, <laughs> because, because it, it's helpful to note what, what happens, and you'll see this in a whole lot of different things. You'll see it with a, a guy maybe like Pelagius, or you're going to see it with people that believe in flat earth. Um, you know, you, you see it in, in a whole lot of different doctrines where someone grabs onto one thing, and what ends up happening is that they start to defend it, whatever whatever it is. And it's, it might be a light defense at first. But when, when debating, if someone's pride is getting in the way, what happens with the pride is we are going to be right to the last thing we do. And yep. when, when people start arguing out of pride, they start to make arguments that even if they're invalid, they don't care. Even if it's unbiblical, they don't care. They will justify it. Now, every system, every system, I don't care what system you look at, Jehovah Witnesses, Islam, Mormonism, Catholicism, any system, they are going to have answers to the questions. They're going to be a, a well-argued system. And so the reason I point that out is people think like, well, if you, if they don't hold to this, they're going to be just crazy and no it's it's it might you know flat earth might seem crazy to us but to them it makes sense to them it's a well-organized system and that becomes the thing that is kind of uh you know where people start to see that well there here's answers here and the more they study to to debate someone on a topic the more they get grounded in all well this 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 has answers this has answers let me give you a for instance. I had a, a, a Jewish person who contacted the ministry, knew that I was from a Jewish background, wanted to try to convert me back to Judaism. His argument was that only the rabbis have answers, okay? Well, and and the, the thing that we ended up seeing and, um, is that he argued that the rabbis have the only answer to, how, to, to King David. Now, the argument with King David that they made was that King David is— uh, was uh, actually he couldn't have committed adultery because he was this you know godly man. He was a man after God's own heart, and so how can you have this man after God's own heart commit adultery and, and murder that can't have happened? Now we would say yes, it can because he's a human being. 
Okay, not very hard to understand. What they, what the rabbis will come up with with a system to answer this, is that well, what David did when he had Uriah and Uriah, when Uriah left to go to war, he gave his wife a temporary divorce. Not a permanent divorce, but or, he, or most of the men would give a temporary divorce, saying, hey, if, some, if I don't come back, if you don't hear from me, you're free to marry. But what Uriah did was a permanent divorce. And that's why Uriah wouldn't go back to his house. <laughs> and so, you know, this was, you know, so she was a free woman to marry. David just married her. And you go, well, why did he have him killed? Oh, because he called him Lord. That was blasphemy. Well, that wasn't the same Lord in the Old Testament that we would use for blasphemy, right? So you, you see that they, they get a system and they, ha- they, they develop a problem, they work a solution, and it looks like they got a great answer. And this Jewish guy was thoroughly convinced there were no other answers. And to me, the easy answer was David was a sinner, right? You know, so, so we do have to understand that. Now, this is the thing that I, I, I'm pointing out just so we understand that there are these issues. When we look at, you know, Pelagius, Pelagius ended up denying what we call the doctrine of, of you know, the sin nature, mm-hmm. okay? Romans 5, 12 and following makes that clear. Um, but he just, he just went so far in trying to defend human will that what ended up happening to, to the point where he denied that we even, we have a sin nature. Mm-hmm. And that becomes an essential thing. And see, once you start giving up major doctrines, you're, you can't, A, you can't be orthodox, you know? So we would say that, I would say at least, you know, Augustine had changed his views on many things, but in the end, he was more orthodox, orthodox than when he started. Yeah. You also got to think about the fact that Augustine agreed with the uh, fourfold interpretation, and he was, he was allegorical. And uh, he, he held to uh, uh, allegory in a, the context of the scripture. And so how is it that that he can affirm David or some of the others? Well, they take, you know, you take the allegory and you say that doesn't actually mean that it means something else. You have to apply that. And then you take the literal interpretation. It says this and you, you take uh, you take um, um, the. I can't remember what the grammatical interpretation Mm -hmm. and you go from there and you say, well, let's break it down to mean something else. Well, see, Augustine did something that was new in, in, in the Christianity from Christ to Augustine, from Christ to Augustine, you have, you had the Christocentric, you had the Christological argument and you had, you had the, uh, the, the hermeneutic where Christ uh, broke out the scripture and taught what the Bible actually means and says, you know, have you not read or have you not heard? You see that throughout, you know, Christ as he's arguing. And then you see it through Paul and Peter and, and John as they start saying, you know, this means this. And they, they properly apply typology, allegory, and all these other steps. Well, when Augustine came in, um, you know, of course, this is after, this is after the, um, uh, the Antioch school, you know, they, they kind of went down the Nestorian controversy. They went to Arius and they, they started messing around with that and, and, and it became controversial because they started looking at the nature of Christ and saying that can't be right from a literal interpretation. So they didn't, they didn't recognize the balance, the interpretive balance in hermeneutics. And, uh, and I know this is, I'm not trying to get too deep, but, um, mm-hmm. but if you think about it uh, for everybody that's hearing this, 
they didn't recognize the balance. Well, Augustine comes along and he's he's literal in his interpretation and his fourfold. He's allegorical, but when it came to theology and to doctrine, he was he held to the literal, grammatical, historical hermeneutic. But when it came to his application and other things like that, he went to a lot of allegory so that he could defend it. Well, what happened out of that was the Roman Catholic Church, as it was building up, it held to his allegory and really abandoned his, you know, his grammatical historical hermeneutic. And they ran to tradition. They ran straight towards tradition and say, we've got the magisterium. We've got history, the popes, we have the cardinals. and, and, And by the way, Augustine is a powerhouse. So you don't argue with a powerhouse. So he did a lot of really good and did a lot of really bad. And unfortunately, it's all the way up to today. I mean, the Roman Catholic Church and a lot of reform teaching, a lot of things like that that people get a hold of, even in our churches today, come from that allegorical tradition that comes, you know, the Roman Catholic Church perverted and twisted. So, yeah, yeah. Thanks for answering that, guys. Because um, I've heard these arguments before, but the uh, his, but the historicity between Augustine and Plagius has kind of threw me off because I hadn't heard that one before. Because what I'm finding is a lot of these guys. Um, no, the end up, sorry, my camera's being, as, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, a lot of these guys, and when they're arguing, when they're arguing the free will, uh, libertarian free will, uh, God's choice or trying to argue against, um, total depravity or original sin, what I find that they're doing instead of demonstrating from the scripture, no, their, their point, they spend more time arguing against what Calvinism or reform theology is as opposed to actually trying to prove their position. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, when it comes to Augustine, you just have to keep in mind, there's a reason the Catholics hold to him, there's a reason the Reformers hold to him. They just, you know, the the Catholics will hold to his older writings before he edited them, right? And the Reformers, I mean, the Reformers in the Reformation went back to, you know, Augustine, and were like, oh, look at what what he's saying here. And they they were seeing that he said this centuries before, and, but they were looking at the edited work you know, after he cleaned things up. So there, there is that distinction with him that everyone kind of points back to, to Augustine. It's, it, it's a funny thing that I always talk about when it comes to Augustine. All millennials point to Augustine. Premillennialists can point to Augustine. And you go, wait, wait, how can you have both? Because Augustine, belie- he believed in a literal 1,000-year kingdom. Mm-hmm. He just thought he was in it. Yep. And, and that was held until about 1,000 AD under Pope uh, Innocence the second, I think it was, and so what you have is you end up having the case where because theology is progressive, in other words, over time as we deal with conflict, right? Mm-hmm. Early centuries, what was the big thing? The nature of Christ, yeah. yeah, right. And as you had false teaching come up about the nature of Christ, Arius says Arius says he's just a man. He wasn't God. Well, that has to be defended against. And so yep. you have this battle, and, and every couple of generations you have new issues that have to be battled because there's new heresies that end up going and, and coming up with it. And so a lot of what you see is the answering of you know a, a heresy that starts forming its head, and that's where solid theology comes from, which is hard for us to to think about that <laughs> it comes out of heresy, but yeah. it does. And so Augustine was responding to Pelagius. Calvin was, was responding to, you know, or, or actually Luther was responding to, you know, guys like Erasmus. You, you had people who there's always two of each side. 
that are, are fighting with it and trying to clarify. So the theology we have today is going to be sharper and more precise than Augustine's day. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So is um, that, that helpful for you? Yeah, that's very help, very helpful. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. I'm going to put you backstage. If you have more questions, just pop on in. Uh, Brad had to drop out, but he gave a super chat to make sure we would get to his question, which we were going to get to anyway. But uh, it would have been better for Brad to be here. But he gave a $10 super chat, says, Hey, brothers, can you help me with an understanding of the meaning of Deuteronomy 25, uh, 11 to 12? I can't seem to make sense of it. God bless you all. So let me read that, and then I'm gonna then I'll back up and read it in context. Okay, uh, one of the first one of the things you should always do is read in what's the word context. context. Yes, thank you. You're taking a class on hermeneutics, so I expect you to have that. All right, let's take a look at this. So Deuteronomy uh, 25 verses 11 and 12. And what I could do, I will I will do this. Why don't we just read it together by me sharing it on screen? Um, if I get the right window, because you guys don't want the, where it's so small, you can't read it. Okay. All right. So, all right. So here we go. It says here, uh, if we look in verse one, scroll down, if there is, well, actually, sorry, we want verse 11 and 12 first. So verses 11, 12 say, if two, if two men, a man and his countrymen are struggling together and the wife of one comes to deliver her husband from the hand of the one who is striking him and puts out her hand and seizes his genitals, then you shall cut off her hand. You shall not show pity. Okay, so let's back up and read context. It's amazing how sometimes just reading context is helpful. But Deuteronomy 25, starting in verse 1, if there is a dispute between a man and they go to court and the judge decides their case... They are justified and the righteous and can, sorry, uh, the judge judges, I'm going to just start over with that. I'm like, if there is a dispute between men and they go to court and the judges decide their case, they are justified, the righteous and condemned, the wicked. Then, Then it shall be if the wicked man deserves to be beaten the judge shall make him lie down and be beaten in the in, in his presence with the number of stripes according to his guilt. He may beat him 40 times, but no more, so that he does not beat him with many more stripes than these and your brothers are not degraded in your eyes. You shall not muzzle an ox when he's threshing. When brothers live together, and one of them dies and has a son, the wife of the deceased shall not marry outside of the family to a strange man. Her husband, her husband's brother, shall go to her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duties of a husband as a husband's brother to her. Then, uh, sorry, it shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. But if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go to the gate to the elders and say, and say, my husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brother in Israel. He, he is not to perform the duty. He's not willing to perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. 
Then the elder, the elders of the city will summon and speak to him. And if he persists and says, I do not desire to take her, then the brother's wife shall come to him in the sight of the elders and put his sandal on and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face and he and she shall declare she shall declare this thus it has been done to the man who does not build his brother's house in Israel his name shall be called the house of him whose sandal is removed if two men a man of his countrymen and are struggling together and the wife of the one comes to uh, comes near to deliver her husband from the hand of the one who is who is striking him and puts her hand out to and seizes his genitals then you shall cut off her hand you shall not show pity verse 13 you shall not have your bag with different weights differing weights a, a large and a small you shall not have in your house differing measures a large and a small you shall give a full and just weight you shall have the full and just measure that your days may be prolonged in the land of the Lord that God gives you. So what you see here, I'm reading the context here, this is a set of laws, specifically the law in verses 11 and 12. You see that a lot of these laws are dealing with the issues of, that's dealing with husbands, wives, okay? You you have a case with two men who would, would be, they would go before a judge and a judge is going to hear the case. You have a case where the uh, wife has a husband who dies and, and this is the kinsman redeemer. Okay. In the Leverett marriage. Correct. Now, in, in this verses, I want you to notice what is going on. This sounds like it is very abrupt and wrong. So you have your, your, a wife, your husband is being attacked by somebody. And in that attacking, uh, what ends up happening is the person is going to come and, and the wife is going to come and basically grab the, the person in, in the, in the groin. Okay. Grabs the guy there to get him to get away. Now, we all understand that is going to be a sensitive area for men. Um, and so, would that be an effective way to get someone off of her husband? It, it, In one sense, yes, it would be effective, but it would be indecent. Yeah. It would be inappropriate. And so, what it's saying is that even in, def- in self-defense, there were limits. There's, there's limits to what a woman could do in defending her own husband. And she could push him from the shoulders. She could grab him from the neck. She could do different things, but touching in that area would be off limits. Okay, it's one of many laws that we have. You know, dealing with those areas of our body that are to be handled differently. And so the idea here is that if a woman is going to come, her husband's being attacked. She can pull him off, she could try to push him off, she could try to fight him off, but she is not to touch his sexual organs with her hand. There's a consequence to that. So and it's it's dealing with modesty even in even in self-defense, like you said. It's that's the idea. Um John MacArthur points out that this is the uh I believe he says this is the one of the the only place where you know that type of punishment is made for this type of immodesty. Um and it's because you think about it. Who's this talking to? It's talking to the Israelite people who have been set apart by God, and God is establishing rules and uh, authority 
uh, from his law about how they are to live separately from the world. You know, not not as barbarians, but as you know, holy people unto God, and and that's how they're supposed to live. So, so, but I hope that answered your question. I know you had to drop out. <clears throat> we have another question before we get to our, our the last guest that's at least in here right now. Another super chat is uh, Evan Event Horizon gave a five dollars super chat and said, "What are your thoughts on Eastern Orthodoxy? They condemn Pelagius as a person, but Theos and their idea of grace smack of Pelagianism." Um, so, you know. Just I don't know how much you are up on Eastern Orthodoxy. Eastern Orthodoxy is very mystic. Yeah, it's one of the things. So they are very, very heavily on the allegorical approach to things. <clears throat> That's where they get the mysticism. Uh, I I would say I don't know enough about Eastern Orthodoxy to compare it to Pelagianism. However, one of the things that you will often see, in fact, what you'll see with with every man made religion. <clears throat> is the fact that every man-made religion will smack of Pelagianism. It will say that we are, it, it will either say we have no sin nature, we're born able to do things that would please God, because every man-made religion always will, will put up that they are able to, to work their way to heaven, so they could do things to earn that righteousness. And so part of that means you can't have a sin nature. If you have a sin nature... And this is the problem with Seth last week, is he denies the sin nature, this is where it ends up being. If you deny the sin nature, then you can work your way to heaven. And that's what every false religion has to have. Now, um, before we get to our next guest, let's just show again why John needs a my pillow. Because as you can see here, he has his, he has his, he's in his sleeping mode right there, uh, very nicely and comfortably. And he's got his copy of what do we or what do they believe in his in his. But if if he would have called one eight hundred eight seven three zero one seven six and use promo code SFE, he could be resting on a nice my pillow right now. Instead uh, of Biden, but but so, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm convinced that he does that just so that he we we show him on camera. <laughs> oh man! Oh. All right, so I want to get to our, our next guest. I'm going to have to ask him how to pronounce his name. He, his, uh, his handle here is The Way Everlasting. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me, brothers. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is pronounced Emeka. Emeka, okay. I didn't want to, I, I, I didn't want to mispronounce it when we saw it. So, so welcome. So uh, I know that you, you, you and I had some exchange because you were having an exchange in, I, I may have been our Christian Apologetics Facebook group. And yes. there was some discussion and someone tagged me and I just said, well, you know, why don't you come on to this show and let's talk about it. And so I, I'm going to first off give kudos because as I said last week, there's there's many people that say they'll come in and they're up for a challenge. And then we, we do a show and it's like, hey, anyone see that guy? <laughs> you know, yeah, like last week there were three guys that were going to come in and debate Calvinism. We only had one. So kudos to you right off the bat because you did show it and you, you did say you didn't know where where to show up. And I, I forget who, who was encouraging you to show up, but uh, I'm, I'm hope he's watching. <laughs> so why don't you introduce yourself real quick and just let us know a little bit about your background and then the topic that you wanted to talk about. Okay. Um, yeah, so once again, my name is Emeka. Um, my YouTube channel is the way everlasting. And that's where I, uh, break down scripture, um, 
and just reveal the things that I'm seeing and things that I've been coming across in scripture, some teachings I'll do. Um, I cover a, kind of a wide range of things. Um, and so, yeah, I've been, I've been in my walk for about three years now. Um, very interesting, very, uh, most would say spiritual, you know, uh, awakening. Um, and I've just began to search things, you know, I've, I've always been the type of individual to question things. You know, I'm not just the type you can just throw something out, out at me and I'll just believe it. You know, I may, I may lean to it, but I've always questioned things in the back of my mind. And so along my path, I've just continued to question, seek truth from the scriptures um, and just allow the scriptures to guide me, allow the father to guide me and what I, um, you know, what I see in scripture, what I believe that way I can formulate, um, you know, through the wisdom that he gives, I can formulate an understanding. I can formulate a belief versus just, just going off simply what others tell me. So that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm just, you know, I continue to search, uh, scripture and right now in my stance, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a Christian, uh, I am what they would call a Old Testament only or a Tanakh only um, believer. Um, and so that is actually uh, leading up to the topic. That's actually what I wanted to address was some of the uh, issues that I have had with um, the New Testament and bring out some of the things that I find to be um, errors or, or red flags, I would say. Okay, well, yeah, let's let's get into the topic. So, you, I know you had a video that that you, you had posted, and that was what caused was the discussion was over. Why don't you just give you know a brief explanation of that? You know, because obviously, okay. you know, there was a series of videos you did, and they were each like a, like an hour or so long. We're not gonna, <laughs> we don't have an hour left, yeah. so you can't go through everything. Okay, yeah, no worries. Yeah, so what I did was um, somebody actually, I should probably, I think, a nice background. Well, how how did I get there? Uh, would be good. Um, and then I'll explain the video. So somebody came to me one day and I was, this was when I was a, a Christian, dedicated Christian, all about, you know, New Testament, you know, studied it. I studied the old as well. Wasn't as well versed, um, you know, and I'm getting better and better versed at the Old Testament as well. But they came up to me one day, somebody who was actually a, a Christian for over 50 years. And they said, hey, you know, is it possible that this Messiah, you know, might be, you know, um, not might might not be legit and at that time period i was like yo i don't even get away from me with that like <laughs> just like i'm sure many other other people out there would say yo hold up what no uh you're talking about the messiah not being legit i don't want to hear none of that you know and that's exactly what my initial mentality was like no that's not only that but that's going to bring division and i'm trying to help bring unity and this is only going to be you know creating more doctrines and divisions so they asked me that and I was like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to leave it alone. But something in me was like, you know what, father, if this is true, you'll bring it to my attention. You know, you'll bring it, you'll bring it out. And so I began to read, um, Isaiah chapter 11. And as I was reading Isaiah chapter 11, doing some studying, there were some things I saw in there and I was like, hold on this, something is not lining up here. So I did further research into Isaiah and then, um, pretty much, you know, I got led to a video or two that I checked out and it started telling me just in, within me was like, start researching the prophecies, start researching the prophecies. <clears throat> so the first thing I did and now coming into the videos was I began to research the New Testament prophecies. I said, OK, what New Testament prophecies did they use to validate 
the Messiah, right? What, what were all the prophecies they said he fulfilled, you know? And so I went in and I said, okay, let me, this is where I'm going to have to base it. Because when we look at validating the Messiah, he's validated in the, as the Messiah, he's validated by the fulfillment of these prophecies. So I said, okay, let's, let me look at these prophecies. So I started going in, you know, from the beginning, from Matthew, just started going through the books, uh, did some research and looked up, you know, a list of prophecies um, uh, through the scriptures. So I started saying, okay, where did these prophecies came from? All right. So I went back into the old Testament and to what you said, mentioned earlier, you know, that special word context, right? That special word context, context is key. So I said, okay, let me, let's, for instance, let me look at Matthew, you know, uh, I'm sorry. uh, Yeah. The prophecy that comes from Matthew chapter one, I think it's like verse 23 regarding the virgin birth. So I went to Isaiah seven and I said, okay, Isaiah seven, 14, I read Isaiah seven, 14 through 16. And then I said, you know what, let's read for context. So I started at the beginning. Once I started at the beginning, I started to see, oh, hold on. The context of this prophecy is different than what we see it how we see it just in the new testament we see just this one verse being applied and saying oh here's the um this is who fulfilled it but then when you read the entire context for uh, of isaiah 7 you'll see that you know for instance that the virgin birth or the baby that was born some people debate let's let's deal with let's deal with that one yes okay right let's deal with that one off the bat so your, your argument right would be that this was dealing with a child at the time, correct? Yes, because um, oh. when we look at, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we look at King, for instance, reading. Um, well, here, here, here's the question I have for you: Do you know that mm-hmm. very few Christians would disagree with that? Oh yeah, like well, I wouldn't. I don't know if I would say few because I've talked. <laughs> I've talked to. Okay, I've talked to quite a, quite a bit, yeah. and, and they they do end up disagreeing, and they they throw out. You know, I would say well studied. Um, Christians who understand context wouldn't disagree because I've talked to messianics who don't disagree at all with that. And then some actually do. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that you see throughout scripture, even in old Testament scripture, which is fulfilled Mm -hmm. in old Testament times Mm -hmm. is that you'll almost always see a near and long-term fulfillment when you have, I mean, you think about it. If, if you are a prophet, you're giving prophecy. You're saying you're, you're saying you speak for God, and you're going to give a prophecy. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen for 700 years. How would the people during that span of 700 years know that that specific prophecy was going to come mm-hmm. to pass, unless you had a, a prophecy that was near term that came to pass, right? So they would always have the, the not always, but almost always a, a near term and a long term. So you'd have a future prophecy, but it would be it would be tied with one that's that's near term. So when it comes to that, right, the the first thing is that we don't see anywhere within the Old Testament, right, where that is taught, that mentality of of a double for what they will call a double fulfillment of prophecy, right? Or a prophecy that has two fulfillments, a near and a long term. What we see in the Old Testament is we usually see that the Father, the, the Almighty, will lay down a time period for the prophecy, right? So for instance, when we talk about Isaiah chapter seven, right? He gives a time period for that specific prophecy. He says, okay, this is what you're going to see. Ahaz. behold, you know, this, this sign is for you. And it's regarding these two uh, kings that are coming these two nations that are coming against you. Right. 
So you're going to see this virgin birth. And by time this virgin gives birth, uh, his name is gonna, the child's name is going to be called Emmanuel. He starts giving them, you know, the signs to look for. The, the child's name is going to be called Emmanuel, right? Butter and honey shall the child eat. Um, and before he knows to refuse the evil and choose the good, he shall re- he shall refuse the evil. Uh, uh, before he knows to ch- choose evil or good, he shall refuse the evil, choose the good. And then he says, and before the two kings... I'm sorry, and before, I'm sorry, he shall know to choose evil. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> okay. Me, take take your time. Take your yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I should have pulled it up. I think I actually have it up. Let me see if I can just pull it well, up. While you, while you pull it up, you, you, you know, All right. think about, uh, since we're in Isaiah, Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14 speaks about a okay. king, but it speaks about a king that can't possibly be a king that lived on earth. And so in Isaiah 14, you have, you know, you have what you said Scripture doesn't talk about. Most people would say that Isaiah 14 speaks about Satan because of the way it's laid out here. Okay. Oh, okay. I know. I know what you're. Yeah, I know so, what you're talking so about. I know it, what you're talking yet, about. Yet, it's it's supposedly describing a king of Earth. Yeah, the king of Babylon. Right. And and yet the king of Babylon never saw creation. <laughs> you know. Never said, I'll ascend to heaven, I'll rise before, to the throne of the stars of, of God. You, you look at the way that, it, that this is described, this is describing Satan, and yet it says the king of Babylon. So there would be a case where, yes, you, you do have this, what you say doesn't occur, but it's, it's a, it is a duel in, in that sense. But the, the other thing with this is that there was never a time that we have a virgin giving birth, right? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely. So when it comes to the virgin, and I know this is, this is somewhat where people get controversy. Um, the word virgin, uh, when you go to the Hebrew is, you know, Alma mm-hmm. and that gets broken down as maiden or young woman. Correct. Right. And so when we look at that, that word virgin, okay. Doesn't necessarily mean it, you're right. We, but well, the, the, inter- the understanding that we mostly have today of how, that word, virgin, however, right. However, there, there's something we have to think about with this, okay? Because when the Jewish rabbis got together and translated the, the Hebrew Bible into Greek, which is a more precise language, I, I, I'm forgetting how many, I think there's like, uh, I think it's 20 times number of words in, in Greek to Hebrew. I mean, Hebrew is a very limited set of words. Uh, it's an older language, and as languages, newer languages have more precision, Greek is more precise. When they translated this into Greek, the rabbis translated that as virgin, not maiden. So we do have an understanding in, in, in you know, when we look at the Spatuagin, which is the, the Greek translation, the rabbis understood the meaning to be virgin, not an unmarried woman. And so where the Hebrew doesn't have that precision, the Greek does. And so that helps us to have an understanding before the time of Christ— because remember, this this was before Christ. This is the the this would have been the Bible that that Christ would have used, the Greek translation mm-hmm. of the the Hebrew. Yeah. This was written before he was born. So before he was okay. born, the rabbi's understanding of that word is virgin. Okay. Well, see, and now the 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 interesting thing about that, which um, I, I'm going to read those the verses. So that I could, so that I could make sure it comes out. Clear. Yeah, where, where, which verses then, were you at again? Uh, uh, I'm going to read uh, pretty much. I'm going to read 14 in what you just mentioned, 14 through 16 uh, of Isaiah 7. 
All right. So it says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive in the womb and shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat before he knows either to prefer evil or choose the good. And then it says in verse 16, and this is a very key verse. It says, for before the child shall know good or evil, he refuses evil to choose the good and the land shall be forsaken, which thou art afraid of because of the two kings. So all this is connected and verse 16 cannot be separated from verse 14 and 15. All this is one prophecy together. So when we're looking at the fulfillment of, of what's happening, first people have to have an understanding of the context. So the two kings that are coming against, um, well, the two kings that are being spoken of are these two kings that are coming against King Ahaz. And how do we know the Most High is, is sending this sign to Ahaz? Is because in verse 10 it says, And the Lord again spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask for thyself a sign of the Lord thy God, in the depth or in the height. And Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear now, O house of David, which Ahaz was from the lineage of David. And it says, Is it a little thing for you to contend with men, and how do you uh, uh, contend against the Lord? Then, then going into 14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. So this sign was specifically for Ahaz. And then going into verse 16, it was specifically dealing with these two kings. So that's what the that's what this child, the, the, the sign of this child was for. Mm -hmm. And you actually see the fulfillment of this when you go over into, into chapter 8. I'll just read these verses real quick. Uh, starting at verse 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, and then I'm going to find these ones that speak on what we would say speak on the name Emmanuel, right? It says, in verse 1, it says, And the Lord said to me, Take to thyself a volume of a great new book, and write it with a man's pen, concerning the making of a rapid plunder of spoils, for it is near at hand. And make me witnesses of faithful men, Urias and Zacharias, the son of Barachias. And I went into the prophetess and she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to me, call his name, spoil quickly, plunder speedily for the for before the child shall know how to call his father or his mother. One shall take the power of Damascus and the spoils of Samaria before the king of the Assyrians. Now, if you read from verse one of chapter seven, you're going to see that the king of Damascus or the king of Aram and the king of Israel were coming to war against Ahaz. So these are literally the two kings that he's saying in verse four, with this child being born, he's saying, for before the child shall know to call his father or his mother, one shall take the power of Damascus and the spoils of Samaria before the king of the Assyrians. So you can see that this child being born is a fulfillment of the child from verse um, verses 14 through 16. And you can see that verses 16 of chapter 7 and verses and verse 4 of chapter 8 are almost dealing identically with the same issue, right? So you see that there are there's a curriculum for this prophetic fulfillment. And now when you take just verse 14 and you say, okay, verse 14 applies to Yeshua, just verse 14 by itself. Verse 14 applies to Yeshua or Jesus. You say just for verse 14. Well, you have to say, hold on. 
What about everything else that was there? Yeah. There was no two kings coming against Israel. There was no, you know, we didn't see that happen. There was no, even it, to say any two nations at all coming against Israel in the New Testament period when he was a child. We know only Herod was the one who came against him and mm-hmm. he fleed into Egypt and that was the end of that. Okay. So well, let, me, let me ask you this. Let me uh, turn to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14. Okay, but do you at least understand? You, you well, understand I, I under, see, yes, I understand what you're saying, and I have no problem with it. Okay. The, the okay. reason the reason I have no problem with it is because I understand the principle that God can use can take something, and when and now this is where I would be different than like we were talking earlier with Pelagius and Calvin or, and Augustine and these others. You have some people. What they do is they they interpret the Bible by allegory. So they start looking for things that the Bible, whoa, this word can mean this. And so you, you could say, you, you, they, they'll, they'll take, like, for example, they'll take baptism and say, well, baptism, you know, is the circumcision of the Old Testament. Therefore, you know, we should baptize children at, at eight days old. That's where they start trying to find allegories throughout and, mm-hmm. and make the Bible say something it doesn't. If, if God's word says something uh, and God has said that there's a dual meaning, then I believe there's a dual meaning. Because God has said so, so I'm I'm really cautious with saying things like like that. But in in Genesis three fourteen, I want to I want to just go through this as an example with you. So okay. it, it says the the Lord said to the serpent. Now who who who's this saying that's speaking to? I would say this uh, the serpent. The serpent. Okay, I would agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because you've done this, cursed are you. Uh, you are. Uh, cursed are you more than all cattle, mm-hmm. right? So, it, and all, and more than every beast of the field. So it seems like it's speaking to an animal, correct? Absolutely. Okay, he's speaking to an animal. On your belly you will go, and the dust will you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head, and you will bruise him on the heel. Now, what is that last part referring to? Okay. Well, if you notice, we I mean, we all know snakes crawl on the ground, right? So more than likely, if a snake is going to bite you, where is he going to bite you? It's going to be somewhere on your leg. It's going to be somewhere near your heel, maybe the back of the leg could be, you know, your calf. It's going to be somewhere near your leg. And what's the first reaction if a snake is going to try to bite you? You're going to lift your leg and stomp on its head. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that that to me is is very clear that you know this is talking about and of course you see exactly in verse 14 what you mentioned he said thou art cursed above all cattle Correct. and all brutes of the earth so he's clearly speaking to the snake which we know slithers on his belly okay and yet throughout both old and new testament this serpent is referred to as the devil that's right so so you have a physical serpent it seems right that's being cursed and Yet, Scripture will refer to this serpent as the devil. And so, is there, is there uh, another reference that you have where the serpent, um, where the devil is referred to as a serpent in the Old Testament? Let's pull some up. Well, he just he just read to you Isaiah fourteen for for the context of Satan, and it's actually the same exact thing. Is there's one thing being being reused in replace in placement of another, and you have to think about it too. The the context of of Genesis three that he's just talking about is the the one that would bruise the snake would be the one that would be the redeemer according to that passage and the redeemer is not Adam it's not uh, 
that the, the, the snake is biting Adam and Adam's kicking him in the head, but the Redeemer is the one that's going to come later. He's going to be stomping the that one in the head. And the Bible tells us that is the Redeemer that is to come. You have to think about what progressive revelation is. Jesus or God did not give them the full context of everything that he was going to tell them uh, about the Messiah in Genesis. And he didn't give them the full context in Isaiah 6, uh, Isaiah 7 either. He gave them little little snippets throughout the 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 the. the Old Testament, what they had is the Bible. Um, at the time, he gave them snippets so that when the Messiah did come, there was absolute evidence from the Old Testament. And it wasn't just one thing or two things. It would be the totality of his life and everything he did that spoke volumes about who he would be. That's why well, That's why Paul the Apostle, who hated Christ, fell down on his face and said that he is my, my Lord. That high Lord and my God, because of all the things he said, all the things he did and the totality of the Old Testament teaching that was that was fulfilled in Christ at the at his resurrection uh, after his death. Now, I completely I completely understand. I, I completely understand where you're coming from, you know, and my my issue with um, kind of what you said as far as, you know, uh, saying like our Heavenly Father was only showing snippets. That's not when we look when we read just for the context, uh, when we read just to understand, not because what I find often is that people kind of like brother, uh, Andrew was saying saying earlier, people take things and they'll twist them into other things, right? And I honestly feel that's what's been done with the New Testament to validate the New Testament Messiah. I believe there were snippets taken out from here, snippets taken out from there, snippets taken out from there, and and I know it may seem harsh for somebody for me, you know, for somebody to say that. But when you honestly look at the context of what's being spoken and what's being said, especially going back to the prophecies, you know, even for me, Genesis three, that's not really a, a strong argument. Isaiah seven, looking at the context of Isaiah seven, that's not a strong argument to say this is a snippet, a glance of the Messiah because of the requirements of the prophetic fulfillment, because well, hold, hold on, hold on. Let me ask you a question. Mm. How many people do you know have been born of a virgin? I'm not. I don't even agree with the virgin birth. I, I don't I, care I, if you I, agree with it. I'm yeah. asking you a question. How many people I'm do you zero. know that have been? Zero. Okay. Zero. Well, we know. We know according to this passage that at least one. Well, according to the scripture. Hold on. Wait. Just wait okay. a second. Because I understand what you're doing. There's there's the isogetical. I believe. I think. I want it to say this. I don't like it saying that. So I want I don't want to agree with it's not, it's not it's not me just like not liking it saying that it's me going back to the Hebrew right looking okay. at what the Hebrew understanding of the word virgin and seeing that it means maiden or young woman right okay. not okay. only that hold on hold on, hold on one second hold on go one ahead. second go ahead, go ahead. Not, not, on, not only that but when we go to Isaiah specifically and yeah. we're looking at that remember the virgin that gave birth remember it wasn't just a virgin giving birth there were other requirements that were tied to that same child yes. so you can't take out those other requirements and say okay because because this is what we would have to do this is what we would have to do we would have to say okay it has to be a virgin but not only does it have to be a virgin guess what yeah. All of these other requirements need to be fulfilled in the Messiah which means that before he's a certain age two kings that are coming against this Wait, 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 wait! Hold on, hold on! You're, you're, I mean, you're you're jumping so fast that you're not paying attention to the context. 
And I don't mean to be disrespectful. I hope I'm not. I'm not trying to be. Uh, uh, to the context okay. of Isaiah? Okay. To the context of what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the totality of the the Old Testament scriptures because every single word is not prophetic, okay? But yeah, those prophecies about the Messiah are what we're dealing with. So yeah, it builds, okay, but in Genesis, you have a little, as I said, a snippet. You have that first pro, uh, uh, proto-evangelion. It's the very first gospel. It's the promise of the Redeemer. Now, now listen, once you start there, it could be anybody, okay? It could be literally anybody that would be a, a male born, you know, born uh, of the seed and this, that, and the other. And so you start going through, and you, uh, the whole point behind the progression of revelation about the Messiah is to isolate it f- down from, from anybody to absolutely could be only one. Okay. So in other, no, words, I understand it. in other words, if all of these pr- prophecies, as you just said, are not fulfilled, um, are, are not proclaimed, then it could be Andrew. As the Messiah, right? It could well, be me, right? Well, no, but, not not necessarily. No, it well, if I, it's just Genesis one, it could be. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean, you see what I'm saying? But when you start adding those prophecies about the Messiah, Isaiah 53, and and all these and multiple passages talking about the Messiah, and you start adding those, you get down to the fact that there can be only one. Um, so that's why I asked you, how many people do you know of who were born of a virgin? And let's break it down even further. How many men or boys do you know of that were born of a virgin? Now, before you say, I don't agree that it was a virgin. Okay, I wasn't even going to say that. I wasn't even going to say that. Well, you I, did. You did a minute ago. Well, yeah, yeah. I wasn't going to. I was going to say this time. I, yeah. What I was, was going to say. <laughs> well, see, he picked finish. up I'll from that. <laughs> okay, but what I want to get at is this. The born of a virgin, you don't understand the context of what it meant to be a virgin during that time. If you had sex outside of marriage in Israel culture and the Jewish culture, if you had sex outside of marriage under the 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 Mosaic law, you were stoned to death. Okay, mm, so you so no, no, no. Not, you could well, not you could not you be no no hold on, hold on se- you could hold on, hold on I just want to correct you because the sex with the sex part is if somebody had sex. That would require them to go get married to that individual okay. they had sex with. Um, After, other than that, like then a woman, if if the father, you know, if they didn't consummate okay. that, yeah. and the woman was found to not be a virgin, yes, it was and, trouble. And it's, okay, it's, and so you understand? Hold, 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 hold on a second. Yes. Yeah, pronounce yes. your name again, because I, I don't want to mispronounce it. It's it's Amecca. Amecca. Okay. Yes. So Amecca, just just for the way we try to do the show is try not to talk over each other. Okay. Yeah, okay. No problem. So Sorry about yeah, that. yeah. About that. Just just. It, it helps with uh, everyone, everyone being able to hear you. No, absolutely. So, so l- let me let me take it a different way. Is that, is, is that okay, go Justin? Ahead. No, I, I want to ask a question. So, you you're now there. There was a question that was asked in the in the chat. Someone had asked whether uh, you would be a Black Hebrew Israelite. So, I just want to clarify um, that. Well, my dad's Igbo. He's from the Igbo tribe of Nigeria. So that's what I. That's kind of that's kind of what but, I identify as. Some identify them as Hebrews. Um, you know, in certain things and, and, and Jews at certain, you know, and, and so, but I don't, I don't like to get into much of that just because okay. I know all the dilemma and drama behind that. And I don't like, <laughs> just figured we'd get that like, out of the way. Like, I don't like, if somebody asks me, you know, there's times when I say, yeah, you know, I, I'm a Hebrew Israelite, but I know the doctrine, the several different doctrines behind yes. that. And so I don't agree with everything, you know, certain Hebrew Israelites camps teach. There's a lot I don't agree with. So, okay. So, yeah. 
so um, let, let me ask you a question. You, you're believing, and I'm asking this for clarity, so you're believing mm-hmm. in uh, the Old Testament uh, that it is, it's inspired, correct? Yes. Okay. So, and you, you're understanding it that we take it in its, in its normal reading, correct? Yes. Okay. Do you believe that the, the Jewish Messiah uh, has come and put an end to sin yet? Well, what I would say is there is a, when we talk about the Messiah, right, the word Messiah means anointed one, Correct. right? We have had several Messiahs come, like King Saul was, was the first Messiah, right? He was the first anointed one. What? We have King David. Well, and, and I know, I know, I kind of know your point, but I just want to give a, a basis. Yeah. Like we had, we had King Saul who was a Messiah. We've had King David who was a Messiah and all these uh, messiahs that were coming were their job was to deliver Israel out of the hands of their enemies and to establish righteousness. Right. And so what we see is we see that throughout the times of the old Testament, you know, you look in the book of Kings, you'll see, you know, even though there were some that were corrupt, you'll see that there were special ones that there were always like certain special ones that the most High's hand was on. And he was with that individual, right? Even King Hezekiah, was another Messiah who delivered them out of the hands of the Assyrians, out of this, the Assyrian captivity. And he was actually deemed, according to scripture, that there was no greater king before him or after him. So he surpassed Solomon. He surpassed King David. He surpassed everybody. So when we're looking at the Messiahs and we look at messianic prophecies, right? It's very important to identify the aspects of those messianic prophecies, right? For instance, Micah five two, Micah five two. Hold on, because I I just don't want to go off on a lot of different tangents, right? Okay, okay. To keep us focused. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so, let me me get your let me hit your question so that way you can you can you can follow up with another (laughs) one. Um, Do I believe that the last like the last Messiah has come? No, I do not. Okay. I do believe that there is going to be somebody else that the, that you know the heavenly Father chooses to deliver His people, and ultimately the world will submit under what we would say is the Torah, according to Isaiah chapter two. Okay, so now I want to I want to so you said some things. Let me just give you know I don't we have judges they they would have been rulers they would have been people that came to offer deliverance for Israel. Then we have kings. Mm-hmm. Those were never called messiahs, right? And we do have prophecies that there'd be one from David, right? That there was going to be an eternal uh, kingdom that'll be set up from, from the branch of David, from the line of David. But in the Old Testament, we actually have an exact timetable for the messiah that will come and offer an end to sin, okay? And this is in Daniel chapter 9, uh, starting mm-hmm. in verse 24. I'll give you a chance to get there. But All right. Daniel chapter 9 and, and verse 24, I'll, I'll, I'll read there. Because I, I just, I want to give, you know, you, you seem like a gentleman. Uh, it's Emeka, right? Emeka, yes. Okay. Yes. It takes me a bit to get a name right, but you know, I, try, I try not to mispronounce. No. So Emeka, no, when, you seem like someone that, that genuinely wants to, to learn and to, to study and to understand, right? Um, and so we look at this here we have an exact timetable right it says mm-hmm. 20 27 or sorry 77s now in the hebrew it says sevens in english it says weeks um mm-hmm. in in the the in the hebrew you have you can have seven seven days but they also judged the 
calendar was a seven-year calendar, okay? For those who may not know, you know, Emeka, maybe you're familiar with this, but others may not. Like, we have a leap year every four years. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, in Israel, they have a leap month, okay? A whole month that gets added in, (laughs) okay? Okay, I know what you're talking about. And so it's a, it's... 30 days in every month, but then you have a whole nother month that gets added in. And that, that is a seven year cycle. And so you have a, the seventh year, what we'd call leap year, kind of consider that their leap year, but it, you had a whole month, not a day. So mm-hmm. what you have is that in, in Israel, they would refer to that as sevens as well. So sevens in seven day cycles or a seven year cycle. So, when we look at this, and we could do the math on this, we can calculate that this is a seven-year cycle. So it's 77 years, So okay? But 70 w- weeks or 77s have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end to sin, to make atonement for your iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness— to seal up the visions and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So there's right there Mm -hmm. six things that are going to happen that are being decreed at the end of the 70th week, okay? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yes. So, verse 25. So you know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So right there we have an exact time frame. We know when the decree to rebuild the temple was. That that was, you know, back with, you know, when they were came out of the captivity. In Babylon, uh, or, yes. You know, so so they there oh, was the, a, Persians. the Persians had had done so uh, as as prophesied in scripture. The decree goes out to rebuild. And so here we have 40 uh, out of the 79 it's 7 plus 62 is is 69 seven-year periods, right? And so we have have an exact understanding of, you know, it's going to be 483 years from Mm -hmm. that decree. Well, that puts us at the time of Christ. Now, here here would be the question for you, Emeka, that I asked the Mm -hmm. rabbi. When my parents, you may not know my background, I, I grew up Jewish, um, so when, when my parents found out I was Christian, they, they sent me back to the rabbi to try to convince me to, to return to Judaism. Um, this was the thing that I brought up to the rabbi, and I asked mm-hmm. him, is, is this true? And he said, yes. So I'll ask you the same. Is, is, is this true? Um, on the math concerning, you know, doing the seven years, um, I'm, yeah, doing the, the seven years for one week, that's something I'm still looking into. Um, but I, I would like to say, though, um, a lot of people aren't aware of this because we're putting the, the them coming out of the Persian captivity somewhere around the fourth, fifth century. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. OK. So actually, when you when you do the math properly, one B.C. is actually equal to six months time. So you literally you Wait, can you can wait, research this. Hold on, I don't, I don't understand that. What do you mean one BC is so, six months time? Yeah, so so one BC period is not equal to what we think a full year is. One BC period, you can look this up and research it. One BC period is only equal to six months. So it takes two BCs to equal one full year. Um, what we would call what no, we would call one three hundred sixty five. No. There there is when you had the Gregorian calendar, they did have exactly. a. They did have one month that they had to fix, 
and and they and it's not. I forget what the year is, but it's uh, you know it's after a thousand AD, where you, you and you know you can go and look at the Gregorian calendar, and there's one one month that has only two, I think, two weeks in it. It's missing like two yep. weeks to to sync things up, and <clears throat> that was a change between the two calendar the two calendars, but. The Hebrew calendar hasn't changed. Yeah, no, I understand that, that. That's what I'm saying. Is that's and, but, but the Hebrew the calendar, the Hebrew calendar is not what you're using to place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're using you're using the Hebrew calendar. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So 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 so, wait, wait, so, so you would have to tell me then specifically because you know the Hebrew calendar they've been counting they've been counting from the thousands. So you'd have to tell me like the thousand like what point how many well, thousands the, the, like the, the two thousand three thousand something but even because that's how they track they don't track yeah. the way we track going back well let's let's BC. just go with let's just go with today right you believe that that this messiah the prince hasn't arrived yet correct uh the well it okay let me ask this question when we say the messiah which one are you referring to well because, th- this 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 is being clear it's the messiah the prince yeah so it's so it's not a messiah okay, the one the one here in daniel that's the one yeah. that's spoken the, of the one the that's daniel, the, the one that is going to bring about these six different things eventually uh it, it's going to bring a decree for your people a decree for your holy city and then there or sorry the, the these six i got those wrong so starting here it's these six things to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring mm-hmm. everlasting righteousness, to seal up vo- uh, vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So those are the six things that this Messiah, the Prince, will eventually do. Now, yeah, so here, this one specifically here in Daniel, I believe this one is is uh, you can find him in the book of Zechariah. Uh, this is Joshua who's spoken with Joshua who 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 actually. If you read uh, Daniel chapter three, I'm sorry, Zechariah chapter three and Zechariah chapter six, you'll see that he's brought before the Most High in the vision that that Zechariah has. Uh, Joshua, uh, the son mm. of the high priest, is brought before the Most High, only- and then Zechariah in chapter six uh, anoints him, and he's given the command to rebuild the temple. There's only so- one problem with that that I could think of. Zechariah is like 400 BC, so yeah. he's still too early. See, here, here's the question. Well, no, 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 because that's where it goes back to how you're breaking down these weeks. If you're breaking down the seven, if you're breaking down these weeks by years and saying, okay, these weeks are seven years, then definitely. But if you're not breaking them down like that, and you're saying these weeks are literal weeks, no, 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 I'm, bre- I'm breaking it, w- it down. I'm breaking it down by the Hebrew calendar. That yeah. is a seven-year period, which includes the leap, the leap year. Okay, yeah, but you're turning each you're turning each week into seven years, right? So, because that is so, it's seven sevens. It's it, the word week is the English, right? The Hebrew is seventy sevens. Well, it's sab is seven. It would be seven sabbaths, right? It, and that would be seven weeks, not necessarily seven years. So it would be seven sabbaths, is what they would be saying. Um. I'm just going to double check the word real quick, uh, but it, I don't think that it is Sabbath. But give me one second. We want to be accurate. Uh, n- no, it's uh, Sabu, which is a, uh, is uh, seven consecutive days, which is a week, yeah. or seven. Con- sev- it just Absolutely. means it's a a period of seven. So it doesn't it doesn't yeah. have to be. It can count for a year. Remember, you're dealing with a or, a one of the ways that the Hebrews would refer to this is a. a Remember, like we we do a really our calendar is a four year calendar cycle, okay? The Gregorian calendar, 
because we have a leap day that we add in. The Hebrew calendar is 12 30-day period months. So you have 12 months, 30 days each. Gives us 360, right? We're, we're a couple days short. And so what do they do? Every seventh year, they add in another month, and that syncs it up. And so this was the Hebrew calendar that's been around for over 5,000 years, okay? Hasn't changed. And so we're going off of the way we would see this is the year. Now, here's the thing. Whether it's weeks or whether it's years, whether you want to count it by days and count it as a week or you want to count it as years, if you say the Messiah hasn't come, right, and this prophecy is roughly 2,500 years ago, the question I'd have for you is the question I had for the rabbi. Where's the Messiah? Because he's over, he's two thousand years overdue. Yeah, I wouldn't say that, and that's that's what the question is. Kind of go back to what I was saying earlier, because you have to understand that there were those that were anointed and selected by the Most High were considered messiahs. So this individual who I'm speaking about, uh, Joshua, was considered a messiah because okay. he was anointed by the Most High. King David himself was considered a well, messiah. Well, hold on, if you hold on. deny that, then that's yeah. I do deny I, that. I do deny I do. that. And so what I, what I, I want to do what I, what I want to do is ask you to support that argument. Now I would agree that they were they were special leaders, but you, I I would challenge you to give me the verse that refers to them as messiah. And that okay. that may take time, and you may not be able to get it done during this show with fifteen minutes left. And I totally understand. You can always come back on. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I might be able to find it. Just give me a second. Yeah, here. and I'm and pulling. If you guys got anything else you guys want to? Yeah, I just up. pulled up uh, the almost forty verses that uh, refer to Messiah in the Hebrew. Okay, so I could go through them kind of rapidly. But uh, there's uh, in Leviticus four three, if the anointed priest. So that's where it's just referring to an anointed, not as a. The anointed one. Okay, hold on, hold on. Um, but see that anointed there. It, that that word is Messiah, correct? It the the yeah the word would be so Messiah, th- but that's different than it's it's the, no different than in the New Testament we would have antichrists and the antichrist. Okay, you have people who are acting as as an antichrist, but that doesn't refer to the. So there's a a. When, when it's speaking in this passage in Daniel, it's speaking of a specific no, absolutely. And, and, I agree. and the final Messiah, the prince. I, I wouldn't say I couldn't say I can't agree with the final. OK, the well, reason why the reason why I can't but it, agree, but it well, identifies but, who the Messiah well, well, is. Hold on. Here's, here's the reason why I say it would be the final. This Messiah is going to finish transgression, make an end to sin make atonement for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the holy place. If he does those six things, there's nothing left for any future Messiah to do. Yep. Well, this this talks about, and that's why time frame is important, because when we look at the time period, that those weeks, the, the way you're counting the weeks and the way I'm counting the weeks is very crucial because for you, the, those 70, what is it, 70 weeks, right? They would fall in line with your time period, right? Of where you would say right and, around. And how are, how like, are you seeing it? What do you see the sevens? that? The, so I'm seeing them as seven, uh, 70 literal weeks, right? Okay, so you so, no, so that's fine. So let's let's do the math on that. So you see them as 70 days, right? Uh, 70? 70, se- or se- 70, 70 times 7? Seven 70 weeks. Weeks. So you're talking weeks, so we divide that by... So you're days. talking about nine years. Okay. So you believe it's nine years. Hold on. Hold on. How did you get nine years? Well, it I took, is, I took, se- I took 69 times 
right? It's 69 weeks, which is, so 69. You would divide. <clears throat> times by, the, you divided by 400. You took. Oh, oh okay. You're right. You, so okay. we, we could divide the 70 weeks by 52 and we got one year, a little over one year. Yes. So, okay. So now we, we have some timelines here. Um, yes, in verse 26, absolutely. then, uh, so we're sorry, verse 25. Uh, so that you know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild the, the Jerusalem until Messiah, there are there will be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, and it will and it will be built again the plaza, the moat, and even the distress. So you're saying that what we have recorded in Scripture as taking because we we have the seven the forty-nine years uh, that it took to to restore. Jerusalem, you're saying that actually happened in a week. They they rebuilt okay, Jerusalem the, in a week. The building now there was a command to there was a command to build Jerusalem, and then it took time for it to be built. It didn't that didn't happen in just how, one week. how long how long was it? Because it says here that at the end of the the at the end of this period it, it's built again. So even if you say the 69 weeks, you're saying that the that the entire city of Jerusalem was rebuilt in in a year because we actually have historical evidence that it was longer than a year and we have biblical evidence but okay so so let me let me let me look at something because because you're talking about that he would bring in everlasting righteousness right and bring an end to sin right two things that hasn't happened yet correct and that's that's because there's what you end up seeing is when we look at this you can see that it says in verse 25, right? He mentions this. There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So those two are tied together for the rebuilding of the the, the city to the time of the Messiah, okay? So mm-hmm. I would say that the seven weeks, the seven sevens is the restoring of the of Jerusalem. Then there's 62 sevens until Messiah. And then it says, then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. Yep. And have nothing to do and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And and his end will come with a flood, even to the end. And there will be war and desolations. And he will make a firm covenant with them for one seven. So what you see here is that he's saying okay. it's cut off. There's a gap there. That gap is what we would call the church. So there is another seven-year period that's yet to occur. And at the end of that, we're going to end up seeing... That's when the, the all these six things that we see will be will happen. Now, if Let's I can, that. if I could okay. add one thing, we, we got just a couple of minutes. I just want to throw something in because I want you to I want you to have context and, and an understanding here of the seventy weeks. Okay, the reason he's saying four hundred ninety years, uh, and this is important. Second um, Chronicles chapter thirty six, uh, uh, chapter thirty six, verse twenty one, and. Um, Leviticus 25, 1 through 7. You need to look at those, okay? You can go back and look at these anytime you want to. Um, the, the, the Lord explains, if you go to Daniel 1, Daniel thought that after 70 years, this was over with. The, the desolation of Israel is over with and everything. He starts praying, okay? But then you go back to Chronicles, we find out that these are not just 70 weeks. These are 70 Sabbath year weeks. So in other words... Every one of them is a Sabbath that they have not let the land rest for, a, and and the punishment would be seventy Sabbath Sabbaths uh, that they didn't let the land rest, and the punishment would be a grand total of uh, um, 
of a Sabbath week or Sabbath year. So what you're look, looking at is a 490, not just uh, not just not just days, but 490 years of punishment that that would go against the people of Israel so that the land would rest because they did not honor the Sabbath. Um, that we see in Second Chronicles thirty six twenty one, and uh, we also see that that was uh, jubilee year was commanded in Leviticus twenty five, and they did not honor that. And one thing you look at, Doctor John MacArthur points that out really well and breaks it down. Go well, ahead. Let me, yeah, let me just because we are gonna we, we have to get the end of the show, um, and so. What I want to do, I mean, you're, you're welcome to come back. You know, we could, we could finish this up. I mean, I know you want to try to, I, I, I'd like to get from, you know, you to let me know where you see the Messiah referring to David or, or these others. Um, and I, I know we got to, we want to bring Dr. Yeah. Silvestro in who's in the, in the backstage. Um, the context of Daniel, it, you, you look at this and just remember, and I'll just, I'll wrap this discussion up with this. Um, Mecca is the fact that this is, Daniel is writing, having read the prophecies of Jeremiah. What was Jeremiah? There were 70 seven-year periods where they didn't let the land rest. Exactly. That was why they were being punished for 70 years for the, the 70th Sabbath year that they didn't let the land rest. So 77-year periods. They didn't let the land, 490 years, they didn't let the land rest. That's why they were in captivity for 70 years. If you read the beginning of Daniel chapter 9, that's what he's talking about. He's praying about this because he's realizing, hey, Jeremiah said 70 years, and the 70 years are coming due, and what's going on? That's the context. So I just want to give you that. um, We're going to end up having to wrap up, so I'm going to put you backstage. But you're you're welcome to come on next week. But I want to give you a a quick second to give any last last words before we put you backstage. Okay. Okay. You know, actually, I, I appreciate the time. Um, it's definitely been a good conversation. Uh, my apologies if I if I seem to c- cut you guys off at any times. Um, but no, you know, I, I would say, um, you know, the most important thing uh, for me when I look at these is is what you mentioned earlier is to keep things in context, right? Because that's that's when people start taking things out of context. That's where we get we can get misled, you know, and we can fall start falling under any kind of doctrine, you know, and so. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to go and get some of those uh, passages because I really think that understanding the messianic um, roles that, like like I was saying earlier, King David and others have played is very important. We you know, and it's we can't just look and say, oh no, those were just kings that were just they were just kings. That's all they were because that's not you know we we you mentioned the word anointed you know is Messiah. That's what the word anointed is, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, Looking at these prophecies is key and understanding the prophecies in context, you know, mm-hmm. because if anybody's going to pull anything over our eyes, it's going to be t- when they take things out of context. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and look at let, some of those. May, let me give you some encouragement. Look, I, I do want you to look them. But but here's the yeah. thing. Remember what I said about like flat earthers and, and, and people like that, that they become heretics. They don't plan to. Right. When I was talking with about the Calvinism. Um, if you were listening, I know you were in the backstage, but if you were listening back then, here, here's the thing I want you to do. Don't don't look to defend, you know, to, to prove that you're right as much as see if what we're saying is right. And the reason I'm saying that is if you're just trying to prove, 
if you're trying to like, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but if you're trying to just win a debate, what you're going to be likely to do is you're going to try to find something to answer the question. I guarantee you will do that. I guarantee you'll find no, something that answers the question. Yeah, hold no, on, that, on that it's, one. It's, it's Justin, a two-sided thing. It. It's, it's kind of a, a two-sided thing. So, and that's where I, I myself, yeah. um, I came in from a Christian mentality coming yeah. into this, right? And and so they're they're telling me somebody's saying like, yo, this is this is possibly true. So so what I did was kind of what you just did. I was like, yo, are they right? Because I know my Christian stance. I know where I'm I know what I'm founded. Trust me, bro, I can go through the old testament no, no. everything that looks messianic and say, yo, this is Yeshua. This was him. Well, yeah, I understand. Down. I can I, do that. You I know understand that. I understand that. And that's what so, I'm saying. This is the way people get into heresies because they, they, they are trying to defend against something. They start studying it and they go, oh, this makes sense. This actually has some answers. This, they, and, and because a, a, a system has answers doesn't make it right because every system has answers. So the reason I bring up things like the Daniel 9 or the Genesis 3, the reason I bring that up is because like in the Genesis 3, even the rabbis will say that that's Satan. It, oh, everybody, well, I'm going to say almost everyone, because you, you wouldn't hold to that, but almost everyone's going to say that that is a reference to Satan. And so there is a double meaning, okay? So I just, I want you to think about that, because here's the thing, you know, and, and I'll end this with you um, before we bring in Dr. Silvestro, but the, the thing I want to just end with you is, is this. Here's why this would be important for me to, to share with you. You know, I know you're saying you came it from a Christian perspective. It, it, if you if you understand the New Testament, you understand First John, one nineteen, which would say that if you went amount out from among us, then you were never of us. And the fact that you went out from us exposes you were you were never a Christian. Okay. Well, and and I I have no problem if if people want to believe that. But the thing about it is, one thing I, I I'm not a person to where I this is how I look at truth, right? There's no fear of losing salvation when you're seeking the truth. Period. That's yeah. how I approach. That's how I approach it. So that's that's my stand. Like no amount of fear. I don't fear from the New Testament about losing salvation. Fear from the Old Testament. No amount of fear is gonna prevent is gonna prevent me from losing salvation because the yeah. heavenly Father is the judge and He knows my heart. Yeah. At the end of well, the day. Yeah. Right? I, I, but He does know our heart. And it's wicked. Is the problem. No, but here's here's the thing. The reason that it concerns me is. If if we, either one of us, okay, are going to reject Jesus Christ as God, then we have no hope for salvation. See, okay. that's an opinion. That's well, not fact. I would say that's scripture. That's what the and, Bible says. But here's the thing. thing is what you I, call scripture I, is I understand. what I call scripture Exactly, right exactly. And that's why, I, that's why I just want you to hear me out, okay? I just want you to hear me out. I know that you disagree with this, Okay. Now remember, I came to I came to the scriptures, believing that Jesus Christ is Hitler's God. That's how I was raised. I wanted nothing to do with him. However, mathematically, it's impossible to fulfill all of the prophecies of the Old Testament with the New. In in and one of the greatest, I think, is the Daniel nine because it gives us an exact time frame. And so the the thing is, the reason I I bring this to you, Emeka, is. If you're wrong, okay, and this is my fear, if you're wrong, then you would spend eternity in a lake of fire, and I do not want that for you. So I know uh, that, I, I, I know you disagree. Myself, I, I know you disagree with me. 
I know. No, you, I'm saying I don't want it from myself. Oh, okay. You know? <laughs> but I, I just, you may have heard this before, but I, I just want to take a couple minutes to share with you what I believe. Would you, would you spare me those? The yeah, yeah, three yeah minutes? absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Emeka, here's the thing. You could be a far more moral person than I. And I, I'll take for granted that you probably are because I know me, okay? Pastor Justin here knows me, and he probably would agree you're a more moral person than me, right? But being more moral doesn't get us righteousness with God, okay? Every one of us break God's law. You and I both, we've lied, if, you know, we've stolen, we've done things to, to, oh, yeah, to break God's law. God would rightly see us as criminals in his sight. We would both, whether we like it or not, we'd be guilty and we would rightly deserve eternity in a lake of fire. Why? Mm -hmm. Because God is infinitely holy. We can't even comprehend that. I, I know Seth, who's been chatting in the, in the, you know, uh, in the YouTube this whole night from last week's debate, thinks he could be as holy as God. There, none of us could be that holy. God is infinitely holy. Because he's infinitely holy, and he's infinitely just. He requires an infinite consequence when we sin against him. If, if you were to threaten my life, the police would tell you to stay away from me. If you threaten President Biden's life, they're going to throw you in jail, at least for 48 hours until they can find other charges, right? What's the difference? It, it's nothing about, he's not somehow a, a superior human being. No, it's his position. Well, God is an infinite position. And because that has an infinite consequence, I don't want to see you suffer that consequence. And so the, the good news of the gospel is the fact that, that God himself became a man. He suffered a death only he could do. And here's, here's what makes it unique. When we think of the different religions, they will say that there is a God who's both just and merciful. But you can't have that. It's, it's actually impossible because those two things are mutually exclusive. Let's think about it this way. If there was a law, Mecca, that said that if you hit me, I must hit you back. That's justice, okay? I don't think you'd hit me, but say you did. I have one of two choices. I could smack you back. That's justice. I could not smack you, and that's mercy. But if I just tap you lightly, guess what? It's not justice or mercy, right? So the only way we can have a God that's both just and merciful is that he himself pays the fine, the full weight of the punishment. He got fully smacked. The full weight was paid upon him. Why on him? Because if it was anyone else, any temporal human being, we would have to be perfect to not have to pay for our own sins. But if we're perfect as a temporal human being, we can only pay for one person. He being an eternal being can pay for all people everywhere in all times. He can be sufficient for everybody because he's eternal, because of who he is. But being a man, he could pay that fine for men. So he takes the full weight of the punishment, that's justice. Now that he did that, he can offer mercy. And that's what makes the Christianity unique from every world religion. The, the, it's what makes, you know, biblical Judaism separate from rabbinical Judaism that's practiced today. It's the fact that they, we look to a, that God would pay the fine for us, that God would actually do what we could not do, that he would show mercy only after he pays the justice. And the, the thing is, is that it relies on someone that is both God and man. It's the only way that that could be. And so that's what makes Christ unique. So, so my thing for you, I, you may have heard this growing up, but my plea to you, and, and I welcome you to come back next week to finish the discussion. You know, we, we can keep going, you know, but my, my plea to you 
is that you would you would not trust your good works, not trust your your good nature, you know, not trust what you think is true, but in the sense of saying, you know, in your in your studies of just the Old Testament, but you have to look at what Christ did, and and trust in Christ as the only payment for sin to have eternal yeah. life. Okay, Amen. Would would you at least consider that this week? I I, I will I will I will have to do some deep thinking, but I, I can tell you, for me, there there's a, a few problematic things in what you said. I, I, I'm sure there is, and we can get off so you can go yeah. to the next person. But um, but we can and we can talk you know, about I'll, it next week. I just want you to I just absolutely. want you to consider that. Would you Would you do me that favor? Would I consider it? I got to be truthful. At the time, it's not it's not into considering until I research further. So as as I do more research and I come across more things, because I want to be truthful. You know, yep. I'm not the type to you know as I research and, and, and examine the scriptures, examine the word. You know, if there are things that lead me in that direction, then absolutely I will consider. All right. We'll definitely right. be praying for you. We'll be praying you for you. That. Thanks for coming on. Hope, hope to see you again. All right. All right. We'll do. Appreciate the time. Thank you. for All right. You guys. Oop, I thought I, I think I cut him out too soon. Sorry. Dr. Sylvester, before you come, as you come in, before we get to you, their uh, clergy talk gave a $5 Sorry. super chat that I gave. Uh, Justin, you put this one up long ago, but we had to wait to actually answer it. I know, I know. Uh, um, I just didn't want to miss it. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I had my, I had it up the whole time. But clergy talk, uh, which, by the way, if you if you listen to clergy talk podcast, uh, I've, I've been on there again uh, recently. I was on there dealing with the topic of slavery. So I'll probably put that out on my podcast uh, sometime soon. That already came out of his. But uh, he asked the question, if Jesus was not the Christ, then why did all the apostles choose death rather than deny him? And so that's an argument, um, that a good argument to be made, because who would die for a lie? So as, as uh, Phil is saying, here we go, Anthony time, and Anthony shows up to make sure we go overtime. All right. That's how, right. How, how are things down there in Dallas? Oh, we're good. We just got down here today, and uh, we got to check out. So, you know, ICR, Institute for Creation Research, just opened their new museum um, shortly before COVID. And, uh, a bad time to, to open a new museum. <laughs> yeah, the brand new museum, and, and it's been closed ever since. They don't open until May. So um, what's nice is that, you know, so Mike Riddle and I are down here to teach a basic training course. And uh, so for those of you who are – who uh, are um, who get the acts and facts in the mail, which is ICR's monthly uh, magazine. Uh, Mike and I are actually featured in there as uh, as a uh, teaching and and what they love about the ministry and how we teach. And I know you know Justin, Andrew, you both have been at trainings for it, and we hope to get you more involved in in all this as well. But uh, we're really excited about bringing our our uh, teaching style down to ICR. We've, we're going to be packing out the auditorium this Saturday, teaching the basic training course for creation. And then we'll be back down in June as well. I'm um, doing a three and a half day teacher training course um, at ICR. So we're real excited about that. And they are opening the museum just for us this Saturday. So wow. anybody attending the course gets into the museum. So, oh, you tell me this now. Thanks. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Well, you, you have an opportunity to come down in June as well. <laughs> so we get to walk through it real quick today. We'll get to see more of it on Saturday, uh, see their facility. It is just gorgeous. So we're really excited about being down here for this. 
and it's nice weather. Yeah, and it, it is. It is. So uh, I, I know you didn't you, you you came in late at the end there, but uh, we, we had a good discussion tonight, going over some of the debate stuff, talking Calvinism, and then the the last one was quite interesting. Uh, someone who is believes in only the Hebrew scriptures, um, and so I, I do hope that everyone is praying for Mecca. Um, he he clearly needs it. Um, yeah, that that was heartbreaking. I'll tell you, it's, he seems it's, like a sincere young man. Yeah. Well, you know what's I, I think what's terrifying about it is he's holding to a belief in the Old Testament scripture, but the question is 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 he following all the the restrictions and the laws and and That's the sacrifices question. and all those things that are required? Because I mean, without with without you know obedience to God, all he is is a rebel looking at the Bible. You know that's a good and, question to ask. How does how's he keeping this? How's he getting yeah. atonement for sin without the sacrifices at the temple? Yeah, and, right. and that's where I was. I was. We didn't have time to. to I mean, this is a, this is going to be a, a, a multiple uh, discussion, but to 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 try to open that up, you know. All the all the people he's talking about, they all held to the Old Testament sacrificial system. They they looked to the Messiah to come, but they held that old Old Testament sacrificial system, which he's not holding to. Yeah. Yeah. So let me let me uh, close up with uh, you know Anthony, you got a trip coming up this year, and uh, you know we want to want to let folks know about this and invite them, and it's you're you're going to Israel. Actually, all three of us are going to be going to Israel. Three of us are going to Israel. Yeah. And, you know, it was really cool. So um, this past weekend, I was down in Kentucky for the uh, for a couple of different things, my wife's medical treatments and, and whatnot. But we also made a stop off at the Answers in Genesis Women's Conference. And well, that's so, fitting uh, because you, you, you'd feel comfortable there as a woman. I felt very comfortable there. <laughs> Not as a woman. But uh, what was great is uh, I got to hang out with Justin Peters and Phil Johnson all weekend. So I had uh, lots of time with them, which was which was awesome. Um, did, we also did, met, did they find it so, awesome? That's the question. Did, yeah, did they appreciate I, that time? I think they did. <laughs> That's all that matters, right? <laughs> so my truth. <laughs> so, um, so I did want to give a shout out to Linda Yost, who you know watches most of our shows. I got yes. a chance to meet her um, in person. That was really cool. She goes to uh, Chrissy Whitehead's church. Yes. And, uh, and that's how she found out about our podcast. So that was really cool to, to get a chance to talk to her a little bit. And, uh, and I also met, there's three, there were, I, I told you this, Andrew, there are three females that came up to the table and they said, they were talking to Justin as I was sitting there helping sell some of his books. Yeah, there's Linda. Thank you. Good. Great to meet you too, Linda. And, uh, these three ladies are talking about Justin, how they're really excited about going on the Israel trip with him. And I perked up and go, which Israel trip are you talking about? <laughs> it turned out, I said, well, I'm going to be on it too. So I got to meet some That's other great. people who, who knew our names, Andrew, but hadn't met us yet. So, so that was really cool. Yeah. Um, ran into another female. I don't, I don't know how this happens, but uh, she came up to me. Uh, she was working another booth for, uh, for another speaker. And she said, I know you from somewhere. I can't, I can't figure out where. And so she talks to my wife a little bit, and she leaves. She comes back. She goes, you're an American gospel. And I, go, I cannot. <laughs> I am amazed at how people see that little old me who has a 45-second you know, part in the first one and maybe a 20-second well, part in the second one. For, for the record, the reason is, is because while the cameras were there, you were hogging the box. 
And once the cameras left, that's when I got up and yeah, preached. And, and we actually had some good dialogue, and, you know. <laughs> what just can saying. I say? Right place, right time, I guess. No, actually, you're just a box <laughs> hog, and I didn't want to be on camera. So, But but the thing is, if folks want to join us, time is running out. At end of uh, the, this month, uh, for those who are watching this live, this is the end of March. The price goes up. Uh, so, you know, the... The, it will go up by a hundred dollars. So uh, my encouragement is um, to do it now. Go to IsraelTour2021.com. IsraelTour2021.com to join us in Israel. There's only a few seats left. Uh, you may end up having to just meet us in Israel at this point. Uh, I don't know. I think that there, there may be two slots left to join us flying out of Newark. Uh, Phil here says that <coughs> Anthony was the best part of the. American gospel movie. Um, I think, I think Anthony wrote that in. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. (laughs) So, you know, the the thing is this, this is going to be, Israel's going to be, it's going to be a unique experience. And, and folks, uh, the guy who, who runs the trip with us, he, he's told us that he expects that the prices in Israel after COVID is going to go up tremendously. He's already seeing that happen. He's booking some trips for, for 2022 and the prices are going up. So I know a lot of people are saying this is expensive. Yes, but it may be really cheap compared to what it's going to be in the future. They're, they're going to have to make up for the lack of travel for a year and that tourism. And so uh, this, this could be um, the last chance to get to go to Israel. So I'd encourage you to go to IsraelTour2021.com and join us. Uh, Dr. Silvestro, Pastor Justin, myself, Justin Peters, David Cunningham will be doing the devotions uh, along with Pastor Casey from Florida. Um, and it's going to be a good, yeah. a good time of learning your, your Bible in the land where it happened. Which we should also announce, Andrew, that um, we have a conference coming up with Justin Peters at Pastor Casey uh, Butner's church mm-hmm. down in uh, Winter Garden, in Winter Florida. Garden. It's at J- Beulah Baptist Church. Yep, this just is, north of Orlando. So this is this is May seventh, eighth, ninth, and and tenth actually, um, and you know into Monday. And so it's a Friday night to Monday night, and we're going to do our snatch them from the flames conference where it's a discernment conference if you want to learn discernment and we're going to do some special things some things that haven't been done before justin is going to do a session on monday night on pragmatism in the church something he has not done before so that's going to be a new talk if you if you think you've heard everything justin has to say well then you want to come down for this um, if you look for Beulah Baptist Church in Winter Garden, you can get the uh, number there to, to sign up and register. Um, and that's going to be, that is in uh, May 7th to 10th. Now, Anthony, you and I will also be in Indianapolis for Cruciform Conference. Yes. And that is going to be um, June 3rd to the 6th, uh, or, or to the 5th, I think. But uh, so the first week of June. Go to Cruciform Conference. I think it's cruciformconference.com. Uh, but just search for Cruciform Conference, and you can find that. I don't know the exact where exactly it's it's at yet, but uh, Dr. Silvestro is going to be doing, I believe, two pre-conference sessions on presuppositional apologetics. So you won't want to miss that. You'll want to come early for the pre-conference to get that. And uh, then we're talking on on standing firm. 
So that's what the conference will be about. I, I may have a surprise, we're hoping. I'm trying to pull this off, but I I'm, I'm, can't reveal what it is yet. But if I can pull this off, I can just say this. Uh, we will have a very special message that I will be delivering uh, with a special guest. I'll just put it that way. We'll see if that happens. Um, but I'm trying to work on something really special for that conference. So those are some events that we have coming up. Uh, and, you know, I'll say one other thing too, is, um, I haven't told you this yet, Andrew, but I'm going to be doing a special apologetics live show in the coming weeks. He always does this at the end of the show. He pops in (laughs) and announces these special shows that he doesn't run by us, Justin. You notice that? Yeah, no. Like he thinks he's the host. Yeah. He he just comes in and like, I'm just going to do this. (laughs) Actually, I'll let you guys be a part of this one. What what we're going to do is my, you know, there's an old, my old church from, uh, in Cleveland, Ohio is a, is an emergency church. They went emergent church years ago. That's why we left years ago. And uh, they have become a big, big focus in the Cleveland area for social justice. And and um, the pastor of this church is the second in charge of this uh, Christian Missionary Alliance, which is the largest mm-hmm. Um, the largest denomination in the world, and word is that they are moving the they are moving the headquarters from Colorado Springs to Cleveland right now, so that he can become president. Mm. So this church has not only been been emergent for years, Rick Warren style, but they've now they've brought in social justice. They've gotten big into mysticism, especially contemplative prayer, and so we're going to do a special show on this with video clips. Because they've been going wild lately on some of this stuff. And it'll be a great learning opportunity for people to see um, what's been going on around the country with these churches. All right. And so with that, we'll, we'll end just reminding you guys, if you want to help support this podcast, uh, a couple of ways you could do it. There, you can always subscribe to our YouTube channel. There are subscriptions there. You can always give us super chats, which some have done tonight, and we thank all of those who have. But you can also go to strivingforeternity.org slash support and support us monthly. That is a great help because, well, we have monthly bills. So that is another way. The last thing that I'll mention is you can go to mypillow.com, click on the radio listeners square, and buy products there with the promo code SFE, which stands for Striving for Eternity. And when you do that, that will support us as well. Or you can call 1-800-873-0176 and use promo code SFE to get some great pillows, great other products. I haven't, I'm going to be ordering some of their other products since they have so much and hopefully get those in. That's a way you can help striving for eternity as well as get a better night's sleep, which, you know, if Dr. Silvestro got a better night's sleep, he probably wouldn't have lost all that hair. I'm just saying until next week, remember to strive (laughs) to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. See you then. Save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.